Welcome to the Jane Bond Show, from execution to excellence. And I am your host, Jane Bond, the serial entrepreneur who will be sharing with you valuable life lessons and interviewing influencers from around the country who have broken through to success, along with giving you advice on navigating through the game. Today, our topic is a life of fine wines. Our special guest takes us on his journey of becoming an independent advisor and performance wine specialist. He tells us about the night he had a bottle of wine that changed his life. He also shares with us the challenges of breaking into the wine profession as an African-American and the prejudgments that come along with it. His wine life spans over a decade includes working alongside of Angela Basquiatta, the first French vineron of African descent in France, which was the highlight of his career. His years at Christie Auctions in New York City was instrumental in shaping his reference for practical wine cellar planning. Now Linden provides bespoke and curated wine consulting services to a range of wealthy private clients. Without any further ado, I'd like to introduce you to our special guest, Mr. Lyndon C. Harding. Hello, everyone. We're going to get right to it. Just let's go. Okay. okay. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, Brooklyn was fun. You know, uh, Canarsie, East Flatbush area it was just really different at the time. Um, it was just very different to what it is now, but it was fun. I had really great family support, um, some good friends, um, just saw some things that were not necessarily uh, fun because that's part of being in Brooklyn, being in an, in an urban environment at the time. And um, but still, it was just a great place. And now, since when I go back to it, it's just changed quite a bit. So I'm not sure sometimes if I recognize Brooklyn, if I may say so. But it's it's a great place. There's only one Brooklyn, and even even with the changes that have happened over the years, and some of them positive, um, it's still when you peel back the layers, there's still the wonderful electricity and and um excitement and the love that you have of, of, of that city so um you know there's always brooklyn there always will be brooklyn yeah i i love brooklyn too like i said you know i um went to school downtown at, at pace university so i brooklyn the brooklyn bridge was right outside my door and i would just go running across that bridge you know three four times a week just to get some exercise in and i loved it Loved seeing all the people on Wall Street. I mean, I, I thought it was so exciting just to be in the city at that time. And Brooklyn, like I said, Brooklyn was right next door. I would always go to Williamsburg or just go over to Brooklyn Heights and, or just hang out on the bridge like everyone else did. So, and what part of Brooklyn did you live in? I was in East Flatbush and Canarsie area, which is okay. much more inland. If If you don't go... It's a little ways from downtown Brooklyn. So if um, Brooklyn is such a huge borough. Yes, that, it is. Um, sometimes, yeah, sometimes folks don't realize how many different neighborhoods they have. Um, but we moved around a little bit in Brooklyn. So, but those are my two neighborhoods that um, and Brooklyn I call my own. And Brooklyn has changed, like you said, so much. I mean, I was downtown Brooklyn. I know they have a hotel down there now. Um which was surprising yeah. to me. And it's beautiful, some of the restaurants they have going up and walking around at night. is you know, it, it's kind of glamorous down there. So I found that interesting also just recently. Um, you know, and they have gentrified so many parts of Brooklyn. But, you know, all of the boroughs are changing in New York now. It, it, I mean, people have moved out to the boroughs because Manhattan is so expensive. And... My, I have a lot of friends that are saying to me, you know, I was just there last week and they were saying they were moving out of Manhattan because it's just not the same. But I, like I said, I can't imagine. I mean, I, I would always live in Manhattan if I came back to New York. It's just, yeah. I'm a city girl. I love the energy of the city. I love running into different people. I love that there's like 15 languages being spoken before you get to the subway. <laughs> so yeah. I, that's my yeah. energy. You know, the difference is you have to live in New York as opposed to working in New York. So if you have to work, then that's something different. I mean, when I was there, I was hitting the concrete like everybody else was. It was hard. 
you know. And I, when I hear people say, I never get on a subway, I'm saying, how did you get around New York City then? You, you aren't a New Yorker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, it's, it's the fastest way to get around, without a doubt. It, exactly. I mean, you, if you're a New Yorker, it's no way you just don't take the subway. It's not, it's not happening. And the subway is so unique in itself. You see so much going on down there. <laughs> yeah, some things you don't really care to see, too. But yeah, no. it, it's it's Adventureland sometimes down there. Um, and but, you discover a lot of artists down there. I mean, every time I walk through there, even today, when you walk through, there are artists down there making music, doing magic, all kinds of things. That's to me, that is like the real New York that I know. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's an art. interesting place. And I think because the fact that it's 24 hours, it's always on, that yeah. just adds to it. And, you know, for everything that you care to do, that makes it a unique place in the world, you know, from just being out or just eating out, it's 24 hours always. So it, it, it's this a very, very different and we, place. And you I'm have like, to be on, you know. New York yeah. teaches you to be on when you come out the door. Yeah. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes, indeed. True. Yeah, it yes, keeps indeed. you on yes, your toes because you never know who you're going to run into. <laughs> that is true. So, that is true. So tell us a little bit about um, when you were a flight attendant. Well, yeah, I um, I went into the, the business, the industry, actually, because I, I thought that this is something where I could actually – it's a, a place – where I can engage people. And I always had a, a knack for doing that and a passion for doing it, engage people. In this case, it would be in, in the travel industry. People are going places. People are generally in a happy mood most of the times when they're going places. If they're not in a happy mood, it's because all the little things they forgot on their way or they, did I lock the door? Did I leave food out for, for pets? Did I leave notes for the neighbors, how to contact me? And those things add to some of the stress by the time they get on an aircraft. But generally speaking, for the next couple of hours, you're with them and you get to just help them decompress so that when right. they step off, they're going to places. So that was just something that was, it was fun. It was engaging. And, and I saw an opportunity and it just exposed me to quite a bit and quite a bit of the world and cultures and, and, and peoples. And it was fun and it was exciting. And um, so that was a great moment in my life. And as we were talking previously that our lives is made up of, as a sum of many parts and not all of them actually um, are the best for us, but, but they are those parts and, and it helps shape many times the direction we go in and the decisions we make and, and how we live. So Absolutely. the airline industry was certainly a catapult for me for, for many things that I ended up moving to um, later on. That's true. You know, like I, I told you, um, our lives are pretty parallel in that sense. Um, I felt the same way. Um, if I had not joined the airlines, I'm not sure where I would be today. That helped shape my life, I would say, completely. You know, just being out there, meeting people. And I always think, wow, I'm in the middle of the airport and there's thousands of people passing by. Where does this happen? Anywhere else. You know, and people admired yeah. you when you walked by because they found it interesting that you were going to be the one on the plane. I mean, they might have been getting off, meeting family or getting on, but you were always there. So that's why it was always so exciting. And it was always about the destination, too, with me and camaraderie, you know. And you talk about hospitality. I mean, we had to be at our best with that, um, you know, being hospitable to people and engaging them and disarming them. And it taught you how to deal with people from all walks of life. Because I, I did all international pretty much. My first few months I did domestic, and then after that I did all international. Um, and I met a lot of different people from a lot of places around the world and stayed, you know, friends with quite a few of them. So, you know, when we talk about hospitality, we had to be at our best, and it taught us how to do that. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's that's true. That's true. And and you know, I I love saying this to folks because I love to break my mind the way my mind works. I love to break things down, um, and and then try to put it back together and see if it it fits the same way. It makes sense. Um, then it sends me in a, in, a, in a specific direction. I'm mean, looking at the word hospitality and hospitable, and I go back to the to the to the root word of the word. Um, which is phylloxenos, a Greek word, which says that you must be able to love a stranger if you're going to be hospitable. So I think it takes, as you were saying, I think it takes a certain type of, of personality and of will to step into an industry where, as you said, thousands of strangers in an airport and they're going to be a part of your life and you're going to be a part of their life and you have to be hospitable to these strangers for the next how many hours to their destination and it, it, it takes a special person to do that to be able to do that interesting that's very interesting the word you said you know it's a Greek word um, and it means to love strangers and that's true that's very true in every you know sense of the word um, being being a flight attendant you know with any service business you know like I said me, even me being in real estate, I don't get to meet my customers, you know, all the time prior to helping them find their homes. I'm usually on the phones or on the computer, you know. Um, sometimes we might FaceTime just to put a face with a name um, to, to feel a little more comfortable. But, you know, servicing people that are spending millions of dollars on properties, you know, over here in where I live in Naples, Florida, which is a unique place, um, we don't really – get to meet them firsthand before we actually go into the process of finding them a home. We're usually over the phone or on the computer with them. So when they meet you, it's something different. And most of the time they feel like they've got to know you, you know, by engaging yeah. with you, you know, digital, digitally or online. But, you know, it's nothing like a face-to-face, you know, touch, feel, speak to yeah. someone that you're about to deal with. So, yes, you're absolutely right. Um, it is about loving a stranger and, and making things happen. Um, and the old and making thing, them comfortable. People, that is true. That is true, you know. And, and, and the old saying, people do business, when you were talking about working with the folks on the phone with your job in real estate, you know, people do business with people they love. That's right. As simple right. as it sounds, it, it's not a simplistic statement because that's the way people are and so if you can be give them that level of hospitality then it's it's creates a roadmap for your success in your business absolutely and not only that you have to like I said when you disarm people they have to feel comfortable with you you know they have to feel like you have some integrity also behind what you're saying to them on the phone because they're putting their trust in you to take care of some, you know, high-level business for them. So, it's, yeah, it's not who you know. It's who you know and who likes you that wants to do business yeah. with you. I've always said that. <laughs> yeah. You know, speaking, speaking of the sum of parts, I know you had an um, a interesting uh, uh, having your paths cross with someone on one of your flights. And it turned out to be something that you will never forget, and that yeah, was yeah. song. Yeah, um, it was. It was at the time when I was doing so much, and I was into music and and writing, and I uh, was over in Europe working with a guy from Switzerland. It was just so many things that were happening. And um, and in the industry, naturally, as we talked about, you meet so many people, many of them end up being celebrities and, and titans of industry. In this case, was a celebrity, one of many celebrities um, from um, U2 and um, the, the bass player and just – having um, a lengthy conversation. And once again, if you're on an aircraft and you have that passenger for so many hours, they're more inclined to chit chat with you than meeting them at a concert or at a book signing or somewhere. 
um, so you've got the captive audience and it was just wonderful. And I was able to, to, to chat for a while and then um, later on went over to um, visit over and over to Ireland. And um, I, I've got to say this r- really quickly um, that on that trip over to Ireland is um, met someone else who I wasn't prepared to meet. I was in one of uh, their places. I was in a place called The Kitchen, which the group had owned at the time. And um, I don't know if they still do. But, and it was a Wednesday night, and I was out there with some friends and left one area of, of the establishment to, and go to another section of it, came back, and someone was sitting at my table. And my friends were no longer at the table. So I'm walking towards the table, and there's this huge gentleman that's walking towards me. But I get to the table before he does. And I said to him, I said, excuse me, I'm sitting here in my seat. And the person sitting there didn't say anything. They were just sipping on their drink. And the big guy came over and says, can I help you? Turns out it was a bodyguard, and that was um, the one and only prince. And <laughs> U2's place Aww. just sitting there. You know, he had just finished playing a place called the Point Depot in Dublin and had come in after the show to perform. Yeah, and that was just a little another segue of me going over there and, and just meeting one celebrity and going with and meeting another. But that was just a part of the biz- I mean, the, the travel business. You met people all the yes, time. Yes, it was. And it, it, it's just the following week, uh, it was, since it was um, David Gahane, who was the lead singer of an Australian group, um, in excess of the time and even spoke to him for a much longer time. And he was an amazing, amazing gentleman, unfortunately passed away. Uh, but you get a different perspective and you get close in ways that you cannot get um, outside right. of, of that type of industry. And, um, and after that um, went on to, to, um, did some work that ended up taking me to uh, Bermuda for a couple of years. Uh, so it's, it's just been a varied road of all of these instances and people that I've met that have somehow created a trajectory in my life, um, even though it's in the past. It's right. still it's one of the you. many parts. Yeah. You know, it's it's it stays with you and um it's one of those things that you just you just never forget in some respects um even if it doesn't define your life it is right. still a part it still helps shape your life because Absolutely. there are only a few things that actually define our lives i i i would think um you know there are only a few things that do that, that I would think now in my life, maybe 10 years ago or 15 years ago, I didn't think that. But now the things that define my life are, are less. I than understand when I was. that completely. <laughs> Definitely, you know. I understand that. So you, I know you've yeah. had an interesting life, you know, and I, I speak to a lot of people. And when I look at your life and I think about mine, I think we're we pretty much kind of a parallel with each other, you know, and from there, after being a flight attendant, you worked at Christie's, and Christie's, I think, shaped you for your next job, so tell us a little bit about working at Christie's Auction House. Yeah, Christie's was, it's an amazing um, place to actually get real close up with some wonderful masterpieces of art. There's so many different departments, and so many wonderful people there and being able to be this close to some things that you probably will cannot and may never be able to afford, but being able to experience them, that was the point. To spend a couple of hours, eight hours, next to a painting by Basquiat. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> amazing. Uh, yeah. yeah, you know, that's going to be selling for like in that's being a sell to be selling a house for quite a bit of money, selling for quite a bit of money. Um, yeah, and, you know, and being there, which was one of the most pivotal times there uh, that I do remember was when there was a sale of uh, Picasso that achieved the highest. 
um, sale for a single item at the time at an auction and being in the room and it was like theater and, and seeing people walk away when the bidding gets up to a hundred million. And wow. it's just an, it's just an Those amazing, like mind blowing numbers. It, it just totally, <laughs> I mean, it's totally, but yes. Yeah. It's, it certainly does. So mind blowing Lyndon. I mean, I work with big numbers, but those are real mind blowing numbers. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and they did most of their work was was in the art business, but they had a very, very, very tiny wine department. And because I um, I had a wine background, even though I was not in the wine department, because I was I was more under the, the client services, which were sort of the face of all the other departments when they were putting okay. on the sales. Um, but because of my background in wine at the time, I um, have I was. The, the, chosen one to liaise with the wine department. It was tiny. And how did you get into wine? How did you I get into wine? You said you had a wine know, background. Yeah, you know, there was, there was, uh, yeah, I talk about the things that, 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 that moments in, in life that sort of define your life. And, um, and I think uh, there are three things to me. Number one was the day I decided to propose to my wife, not the day that I actually proposed to her, but the day I chose to decide in my mind I was going to do it. The second was the day I found that my wife was, was, was pregnant because we were not sure we were going to have um, a child. And, and that changed my life because you know, that I, got, I received a gift that day. We received a gift. And to receive a gift, you have, you know, it, 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 put points you, it puts a responsibility on you. Um, and the third thing was a bottle of wine that I drunk that got me in Whoa. the wine industry. One okay. bottle that changed how I view wine and made me want to get closer to it in an industry. And I never forget that bottle. I never forget the vintage. I never forget who, who made the winemaker. And that changed my life on wine. And I wanted to step closer. So I started to pursue uh, career in, 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 in the wine. Um, and, and, and that's where I, I still am now and it's gotten more fun and more engaging, but that was definitive for me. It's, and, and I, I don't think my case is unique in the wine industry. You will talk to folks and says, what was the wine that did it for you? Or what is your, you know, bucket list wine? Or if you were stranded, stranded on an Island, what wine would you want to take? So we hear that quite often. But for me, there was just that, that one bottle that brought me towards the industry. I said, said wow, That's I want to know more that... about this, and I wanted to get close to it, and I want to share this with other people because this is something wow. that's different. I've never heard anyone express that in any way like you just have. I mean, I've never heard anyone yeah. say, you know, what yeah. wine would you want? drinking if you were on a deserted island or anything like that. I think that's interesting also. Yeah. So you, this defined who you are at this point in your life. And let me ask you something. I don't meet a lot of uh, African-American or black sommeliers. I know you were a sommelier at one time, correct? Um, well, actually, no, I worked... Um, more on the retail end of it. But I did a lot of sommelier services for folks privately. Okay. I did a tremendous amount of that. But I did not work on the floor in the restaurant. But, but I worked in the business. I've been in the business for over um, 12 years. So I did a lot of private dinners for folks, um, for quite a few clients of mine, private sommelier services, which is basically the pouring of the wine. Um, but my wine background was enough was of such that uh, I, I worked a lot for um, for private clients. But I, I worked in New York um, in, on the retail end, and I worked on the private consulting end with um, winemakers, um, one of which was from France. So it was sort of a, a comprehensive and varied approach to, to accumulating my, my, my wine skill set. Um, but yes, I, 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 I did perform the services. And, yeah. And that, that, when you worked in France, that was with Angela, 
Busquete, is it? Yeah, Kata, Angela Busquete-Kata. Yeah, she's an amazing lady, amazing lady. She was the first woman of color, or black woman, winemaker, vigneron, in, in France. She had um, a winery called Domaine Saint-Antoine in um, Minervois, which is the southwest in the Languedoc, in the south of France. And um, she made about 40,000, 45,000 cases a year, which is very small production, but she lived up in the Paris area. And her mother was in New York, was in Harlem, uptown. Yeah, and that was just really great. And I just really, really loved working with her because it's an industry that, that there's very little representation in that way, certainly so in France. Um, and she was coming along at a time where I felt that this could be super, super amazing. And I was able to work with her and get her wines into um, major hotels in, in, in France, um, brand hotels, um, international brand hotels. And so we did presentations and were able to get her wines. And in addition, she also prepared, she also had um, olive trees and figs and other type of, agricultural products in our, on our, on our farm, on our vineyard. And she was able to bring those products in also to some of the folks that we spoke with, but originally we started out coming in with wine and um, I was with her for a couple of years and I, I wish that that relationship had gone further, that business relationship had gone further, but it, it didn't. She ended up um, leaving the business. And, oh, um, that's yeah. Good, yeah. She was having some, some, um, physical issues because um, the wine work is tough work it's 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 tough it's it may seem glamorous at pouring the wine and sitting in front of a, the glass but getting it there it's 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 farming yeah. oh i'm sure just like anything yeah. else very yeah. difficult and, and stuff so she was having some some issues at the time but there were some other things I'm sure that she just ended up leaving leaving the business, um, which was unfortunate. She'd actually named a couple of wines after her daughters, too. Um, but she was an amazing lady, and 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 that's always been a strong interest of mine, and just continuing that, showing that representation of folks who are not usually at the forefront of the business, um, and letting folks know that yes, there are some, and just putting a spotlight. On, on what they're doing and their works. So that was the start so, of that. And so have you ever had any challenges being African-American in the wine industry? Oh, yeah. At your level? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, you know it's, 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 it's the automatic process of walking into a room, even when we were going into this unnamed hotel in, in um, the 14th out on small. Okay. In Paris, and um, for the first time, everyone was looking at the person behind me because that was the person they were supposedly having the meeting with, you right. know, who did not look like me, and 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 that's and that was just oh, oh, it's you, okay. And but it's just <laughs> and and that happens quite a bit. Even when even in retail and the retail end of it, I was working in New York and the places. That's what here, I was going to ask you. Was it the same way yeah, in New York when you were there? Yeah, there's there was there's an assumption, and most folks, many folks, go through life with assumptions that this is not something that you would be knowledgeable about. Um, this is right. not so, we do not need to speak to you. We need to speak to someone else. And, but it does not, it, it, it can really affect you if you allow it to, but you know that you have to Absolutely. be very good and better. And so it motivates you to be so much better. And so um, now I, I can see it even before I can see it sort of, see coming around the corner now even before oh, it actually happens I'm sure. and you know and just <laughs> it um, happens in my business sort of, also <laughs> very yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, I'm sure it does tall, so i know <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, and that's the thing. You know, it's like, yeah, I am, I am six on the nose. And, and you see me, as I'm sure everyone sees you, because you're yeah. tall and you're a striking and beautiful lady, and they see Thank you. Thank you. And I have big hair. <laughs> <laughs> so they can't miss you, and but, you know, just go around you. Um, but right? you know, I just, um, you learn how to deal with it. At this point now, I, I just, it's not something that, that really takes away from my day. And because I am very confident in of where I am and who I am and what I represent and what I can do and what I know, and um, and so you know, the, the, you learn if you're you, you're Chinese saying that you know you you should not be even in martial arts. I want to reference martial arts. You're not master of a style, but you're master of self. So at this oh, point now, that- I don't consider myself a master of any, but I'm just, I'm confident in, in what I know and, um, and what I don't know, I'm an open book and ready to learn, ready to learn. So, and, and that's yeah. important too. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because I always tell like the younger flight, uh, sorry, younger real estate agents, you know, be open. You know, don't try to break into anything. Grow into it. Learn. Understand. And be confident with who you are and what you want to do in life. And you can go far. You know, that's why it's about, you know, execution. You, you execute your engagement with people like we just spoke about. You, you deal with people and you develop, develop relationships with people. And people will teach you if you stay open. You know, you can't learn everything you know, in, a, in a year. Sometimes it takes yeah. a lifetime to learn things. You know, like you said, it took you quite some time to realize that the things that were so important to you at one time in your life are not important to you at all anymore. And the things that, you know, that are so precious and dear to you are the three things you spoke to me about, which I think is a wonderful yeah. thing to come to a realization, you know, especially as we grow older. Yeah. Because, you know, yeah. a lot of when you look when I look at some of the young people today, they want everything and they want everything now. Well, when I was young, I wanted everything now. But as I got older, I realized it really takes time, you know, yeah. to build, to grow, to meet people even, and to travel, you know. That's right. You can work, I, I it. You can work at it. Yeah, and working at it too, working at who you are becoming. I remember asking, saying something to one real estate agent. I said, you know, I don't understand. Why can't I get this, you know, $4 million um, listing? And she says, well, have you ever had one? Have you worked towards one? What makes you think you should just get it? And that stuck with me for a long time. And I thought, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I wow. understand that. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, so it's very important to kind of take a step back and, and stay open. Like you said, stay very open and, and become confident with who you are and what you can do and what you bring to the table. That is so true, what you just, what you just said. Because, and, and once again, if I may reference um, a little bit of um, Chinese philosophy here, you know, we tend to look at sometimes we say, okay, because I'm a, a forever optimist. Um, and you say, <laughs> look at the glass half full. Yeah. Even in the face of of complete rejection, you know, sunshine, the sun will come up tomorrow, and there'll be a different day, and I'm going to be at it again. Forever the opposite. Absolutely, but that's right. But you know, they say don't keep the glass completely full. Always keep your glass half full. We tend to tell ourselves always look at the glass as half full, so you're seeing the positive in a, a circumstance or in life, but they, the saying says to keep it half full. And the reason you want to keep it half full and not completely fill it up or deplete it is that you always have something to give and there's always room within you to receive. Right. Cause and it's so all about give all, and take. That's exactly, exactly in line with what you were saying. Yeah. You, you must be able to, to, to to give and 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 be positioned to learn. That's why I always, you know, go back to, you know, being an actor. 
when you know when you see actors on stage it's all about give and take you have to give them the energy to keep going they can't carry it by themselves and life is an ensemble <laughs> at all times that's, that's the engagement yeah. we, we thrive off of that we need that I know I do I, I love meeting people I love engaging with people I love teaching people you know and I love learning from people I'm always open Lyndon I mean, I pride myself on it, you know. My husband, he's another story, but, you know, I'm always. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it shows in, 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 your, in your growth and what you've achieved, and that's a big part of it. And um, as you mentioned, sometimes with younger kids, it's hard for them to, to realize that they still need to learn and not necessarily something that will be taught through, a, a, through academics, but it's exactly. a life lesson that or life experience that they have to learn. But yeah, it shows that you are open because of what you've achieved in your life, from my perspective. Thank you. So, you know, I wanted to ask you, how does one come to, you know, if they're an amateur, how does one start collecting? You know, what would, how would they know what to collect well, or where to even start? Well, the first things that you, you want to look at is you look at your, your lifestyle and then you look at your costs. Well, that's Those true. are two things that, that you want to look at, your lifestyle and your costs. What, what, what type of wines do you drink? How do you live? Do you drink socially? Are you having dinners for two, three, four nights a week? Look at your lifestyle. Know your lifestyle. Then look at the amounts that you want to spend per bottle on wine or your wine budget. Have a budget. Then you find wines that fit within your style, your lifestyle, and, and also your budget. And then you start, you try to find ways in which you can, now you may need some advice in terms of choosing quality wines that fit within your lifestyle and your budget. And that's where if you look into a local wine merchant, preferably um, someone that you've been going to for a while, um, not your general high street catch-all um, wine store, but um, if you find a wine merchant that you trust, you can just talk to them about things, wines that you like, and price points, and um, the quality of the wines that you would like to get. And then they can more than likely hone in on, on specific wines that you can start bringing in. Um, and this is for the folks who are new to wine collecting, and, but who would like to maybe just have a few bottles to keep around. It could be 10, 20 bottles just to have around. And okay. as you progress in it, then it gets a little bit more tricky depending on what your goals are. If you're looking at long-term um, storing and collecting, you know, things become a little bit more specific in terms of, of how you go about that, how you navigate that safely. Um, right. If you're going to be doing things It's kind of like buying a house. <laughs> it yeah. sounds like buying a house. Know what your budget is. Know what your yeah. lifestyle is like. Interesting. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, you know, you know, what, you know where you want to live, you know what type of neighbors you want to have, you know the type of house you, you, you want to have, and, yeah. and then you know your budget, and then you go find someone who can help Me. you get there. <laughs> the right there you go. Are. That's it. You go to Jane Barnstorm. That's right. That's who will help you get there. That's right. And, 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 and um, I, I work with, with clients who are – just starting because wine can be very intimidating for many. And there are many folks out there that are in the wine business that I think the industry has sort of made it challenging for many so that, and oh, it's okay. just by design, just by design so that you have someone continuously telling you, this is what you should drink. And, and this has so many points. So that's how you choose your wines. I, I don't at this point subscribe to that, um, because I think if you look at the established system of choosing a customer walking in and choosing wines based on a, uh, a small um, review or on, 
on the shelf, a shelf talker or a um, point system of rating. You know, it may have, for example, 95 points, which may speak to how well the wine is. Yes, but it doesn't tell me what it's going to go with my roast chicken and butternut squash dinner. It doesn't tell me right. uh, if I'm going to enjoy it with my with my buddies or if you're having your girlfriends over, is it going to speak to that? We're just sitting around drinking, you know, women drink wine and women purchase wines differently to men. It doesn't, it doesn't fill all those little nuances. It just tells you it's good. I tell you it's good. And so I try to get away from that. Um, and, and that makes it much more challenging. So I try to bring a more practical approach to my clients about um, acquiring wines and, and generally finding wines that they like, increasing the chances of finding wines that they like and, and within their lifestyle and their budget because everyone's different. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it would it'd be great to have a conversation with you, like a consultation one day online talking about wine yeah. and what's good because I know wine doesn't always have to be expensive. It could be you could have some great and expensive wine also that goes with your roasted chicken or your lamb or your steak or whatever you choose to eat at that time. Yeah. But, um, yeah, yeah, that would be interesting. That, that's very – I know you love to cook for your wife and, and yeah. daughter. <laughs> yeah. So what, what yeah, that's... do you cook for them? <laughs> well, I, I cook, you know, I enjoy, you know, I cook, cook lots of um, pasta dishes. I love – um, light pasta dishes in the summertime get a little bit more heavier as we go into the season here in the northeast um, to the fall and the winter season. I we cook a lot of fish. We love love fish in this house. Um, every now and then I make um, something really special. One of my specialties is beef bourguignon, which I do for my wife and she loves it, you know, and, but I do it a little differently. I don't, just don't do the, the classic Julia Child's recipe, the Lord, you know, that's <laughs> right. not, cut all that up. But, you know, and, and um, I just serve it over instead of um, noodles or anything. I serve, I get like, I'll go to the baker and get a fresh piece of r- bread, like a sourdough bread, and then nice. bring it back and chunk, you know, cut it up in chunks, toast it, garlic rub, and then serve the stew over it so that's one of the dishes that my wife loves um did it on her birthdays and she that's become her 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 meal of choice um and nice you're drinking and what nice kind of wine do you drink with that um well these, you know i drink burgundies i mean there are other wines that are within the style of red burgundies that will work with that um and um i've drunk um some wines from the Piedmont region from Piemonte with it. Um, but generally wines from Burgundy or red Burgundy, Pinot Noir are usually a safe match for that type of dish. Um, I actually, actually you do use the wine in the dish. You use a bottle of it in the dish. Nice. Um, so um, yeah. And it's just depending, I think food pairing is something that, you can do at times and at times it has its, its benefits, but I always just, just don't get too crazy about that um, because I have to do a, a, an upcoming talk, wine talk on, on the holidays um, for food pairings. And you just help you just don't get too crazy over it because it can make you insane because originally you think about it, we didn't have food pairings with wines going back in the 1800s to 1700s because the wines they made back then were very different. The wines are usually very, very sweet. And, but they drank oh, with everything. I would get, yeah. They drank with, with everything. I mean, food pairings is something much more recent on, on the industry end for wines. Yeah, I don't or, really um, like sweet wines. <laughs> I'm a dry yeah. wine person. I like a good rosé or I like a good white wine. Um, yeah. Sometimes I could have uh, a good Pinot. Pinot is always a good choice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but you know, the Cabernet Sauvignon, sometimes those are so heavy for me I can't handle them. Well, those type of wines, there's certain wines that – wine is contextual. There's certain types of wine that work well with certain things. And uh, right. because of the nature of the protein – 
and you want a wine that has a little bit more tannins because the tannins will attach themselves to the protein and without getting too much into the science of it. Um, and, and, and so you find that those bigger wines work well with certain richer proteins. Um, right. But like at the same time, beef. yes, and those type of things. And I, I'd say to folks also, um, sweet wines can be wonderful if it's well-farmed. It's well-farmed and it's balanced. You know, there is, a, there is a sense within the industry, I mean, even from customers, I should say, that a sweet wine is not a good wine. But sweet wines can be great because sweet things can be great. We all love ice cream, right? right. Ice cream is an amazing thing. But we have this aversion to sweet wines because there's, a, there's a, almost a, a subliminal thinking that it, it can't Wine be that great if it's sweet. sweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing, and that's the thing. And that's not true because there are certain grapes that can express themselves in a very dry way, for example, Riesling, and can also be sweet on the opposite end of the spectrum in the category. So it's, a, it's, it's extremely versatile. But at the same time, if how balanced is the wine? Is the sweetness balanced with the acidity in the wine? And, and that will determine whether you can enjoy a sweet wine, how well it's made. And most, unfortunately, most sweet wines in the high street stores are, you know, they're, they're bulk produced, they're bulk wines, and there's no attention to the farming and the work in the wineries, so they're they're not great, you know. They're 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 there's good wine and there's not good wine. And so, if you find a good, well-made wine that has sweetness in it, it's absolute and it's balanced. It's an absolutely wonderful thing. And in contextually, certain wines with residual sweetness work super well with certain foods, especially. Asian foods and spicy food, spicy oh, foods. Oh, yes, definitely, definitely. Works very well with them. So, so that's. Let me ask you this. So, what's next for you? I know you love collecting watches, and you talk about a compilation of written interviews of achievements in wine from African Americans or people of color. So. Before you answer that, I want to ask you something. Did you ever have a breakdown before your breakthrough to all of this, you know, richness in the wine industry for you? Uh, a breakdown? Rejection, yes. Yes. Rejection, you know, almost absolute rejection and um, where you question what you're doing and whether you should go in a different direction because the industry can be very, very closed. The industry that I knew I wanted to be in, the industry I know that I can achieve certain things with and that I'm good at, I'm well positioned to do it. Not because I'm the best or I'm the brightest or I've learned the most, but knowing myself, I know the things that I can achieve and the impact I can make with it. Um, and, and unfortunately, trying to get folks to, to, to see that in you in an industry that's not um, necessarily filled or even have a, a noticeable amount of people that look like you or me, um, right. that, was, that was a challenge. That's a challenge. And... Um, Lots of 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 no's and no's, and um, you're just not taken seriously. Where you just question yourselves. But like I said earlier, you know, knowing the things that you're best positioned to do helps you persevere and persevere. And there were there were times when I was going to felt like giving up. And wow! At that moment. And then when I came home, the optimist in me said, oh, tomorrow's, tomorrow's another day. I'm going to try it again. And um, sometimes it's you have to toss so many um, 
chances at every opportunity that you can get in order to break through with one. And, and, but the thing that kept me going was that I feel like, and like I said, um, one of the things that's what I was going to ask you, like, what was your big why to keep going? Because in every industry, yeah, we all have a big why, why we have to do this and you have to break through, you know, no matter what it takes, you need to do this. So what was yours? Well, number two of the three things I mentioned earlier, um, um, my three whys in my life that changed my life, number two of it, which was the day I found that my wife was was pregnant. We found my wife was pregnant. And um, and, and if I may share this, but it's you know, the, the, the months before, we were told we had a, a 1% chance of having a child. Wow. So this was a miracle child for you guys. This was, a, you know, and, it's, so, and that showed me that I received a gift, and I was given grace, and I have a duty, an obligation to put that back out there. And to persevere, because when you think that nothing is going to break through, here you are shown that everything is possible. Absolutely. Life is possible. And that, that number two anything was my walk. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And that, answer, that was my second why in my life. And so, you know, I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm here. <laughs> you know, just right. deal with it. And that's what I get it. Know, I mean, you I'm, know, I'm here. I'm like you in that sense. You know, I I look for people that look like me. There's not a lot of people in my industry that look like me, let alone in my own city that look like me, um, that are doing the things that I do here. And uh, sometimes that can be a little disheartening for you. You'd think, wow, my God, I'm the only one here. It's a little bit lonely, too, <laughs> yeah. because you need that cultural exchange. You know, that's very important to me in my life. Um, I've had quite a few breakdowns before my breakthrough, so I, I definitely get that. And your why just makes it all, you know, come together, and that's, that's huge. Because that's what this show is about, you know, and that's what I talk about with a lot of people from execution to excellence. You keep executing what you have to do, and it will finally break through. You have to. And you'll have those breakdowns along the way, you know. That, those are confidence builders. You know, failure is nothing but a try. So you get up and you try again. So like you say, you throw a lot of shit up against the wall. Something has to stick, yeah. you know. Yes, indeed. And, and yes, indeed. That's how I see things. So I'm going to digress back to my question, you know, and we're going to wrap things up here because we've been here sure. for quite some time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I know. <laughs> we had a little bit technical difficulty initially, but we, we got through that. <laughs> yeah. No, no so, we're, we're good. Yeah. So, so what's next for you? Um, the next phase for me is maybe doing some – some writing. Okay. And I think that's, yeah, that's, that's my next phase. Um, I've written a lot of small things before nothing really I would consider a consequence or for public exposure. But I think that's my next phase. And, 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 and looking at folks in the industry that are like me um, is becoming part of that, is sort of becoming my muse for my first writing project, if you will. So I think that will be my next thing that I will tackle is because I have lots, quite a few bit of notes and um, being able to put that in in a form um, and, and sharing that with other folks. That's something I'd like to do. I, I really would like to talk about, this industry and how great it is and and right. I shine in, a light on it. And shine a light and, and other people who feel the same in the things that they're doing. So I think that would probably be my first project. And then from then on it might be something maybe a little less serious. But yes, I, I do feel that that's it's time for me to start putting those notes together. And I th- and that's something I've never tackled before. So um 
a new you adventure. Know, it's, <laughs> right. it's a new adventure, yeah, and just to figure out the nuances of it and 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 being able to do it in in a comprehensive way. That's something I'm, I'm looking at. I'm looking at um, even beyond just the fun looking and, 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 and checking out and collecting certain watches. But, but that's my serious next project that I'm looking Shining at. Shining a light on people. At, yeah. In the so industry. I think that's yeah. Yeah. Um, I was recently in Santa Barbara and um, there was one winemaker of color there who started so many years ago. And she recently sold vineyards, but she was one of the first out there. Of color, originally from New Orleans, um, in an industry, and 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 there are many great. There's over 200 wineries out there, but not many. And so that was an uphill battle for her, an uphill battle. Um, but now she's at the point now where there's more folks, even on on, on the customer end, that's coming through and chatting with her and seeing her that look like her and and, and the interest is there. And I think that there's the market out there because there's a lot of interest from people who are never, were not necessarily, or were on the sidelines of this industry that I'm in, um, whether as someone in the industry as a professional or as a consumer, um, who are now showing interest. Because, you know, many in our neighborhood. My neighborhoods in Brooklyn were filled with liquor stores. They weren't filled with wine shops, you know. And that's so. And that's what kept coming in the industry. That's what kept coming to the neighborhoods. So, but now that's changing, and and and, and the consumption and folks are getting more interested. So, just bringing a little bit more light to bear in that, in in areas that it's not been for a long time. So. I think that's a wonderful that's, thing to shine a light on, you know, uh, people of color that are in the industry at this time. Um, and the ones that have, you know, before, before the ones that are here now. I mean, just to, yeah. to share that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing, you know, I always go back to the movie Hidden Figures. You know, we're, yeah. sometimes we become those hidden figures because no one has allowed us to shine a light. And um, yeah. now we have the opportunity is all about inclusion now, which I think is yeah. it's a wonderful thing because there's some huge talent within our culture that needs to be broken out. So I, and yeah. this is one part of it, you know, speaking to you, African-American being, you know, in the wine industry, understanding wine. I mean, you don't find that. I mean, I remember hearing about you a few years back and I was very interested yeah and understanding and knowing and, and finding out why and what made you go into wine. And now, now I know. And I think a lot of people will find the story, your story interesting. You know, it's definitely from execution oh. to excellence, and you're still pushing forward, you know, on this. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, I know the global champagne anniversary is coming up. Shine some oh, light yes. on that for us. Yeah, it's it's the it's the tenth anniversary of um, Global Champagne Day, and it's August eighth. I'm sorry, October eighteenth, which is this upcoming Friday, and it's a day to celebrate champagne. And you know, you're looking at champagne. People at times tend to think of any sparkling wine as champagne, and we tend to reference it as such often. Now, but, but it's not actually true. Champagne only comes from a specific region in France, also named Champagne, the Champagne region. Anything else is just another sparkling wine. So the name Champagne is extremely important, even more so important, very important to the, the Champagne Committee in French and to the Champagne growers in that region. So, um, and this is a day to celebrate that, to celebrate the wines from that specific region, not the other sparkling wines that we may have or see on the shelves in stores, um, in our local stores, but just wines from that region. So on October 18th, raise a glass to champagne. So you go to your local store and find a great 
wine merchant and find a nice bottle of champagne that's from the region and raise a glass to champagne because it's a very, very special wine. And well, yeah, I'm we definitely use, doing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm guessing you know, too, so I'll definitely be doing oh, that. Oh, wonderful. There's a reason. And, and really, and I must say real briefly, I, I don't, I think we tend to see champagne as a destination drink and we use it only as special occasions, you know, birthdays, exactly. anniversaries, blah, blah, blah. But it's a wine that can be drunk daily. It was meant to be drunk daily. It was meant to be drunk at different courses of our meals. So if right. you can, if your lifestyle allows you to have champagne outside of special occasions, by all means do. It is an amazing drink. It is an absolutely amazing drink, and there's nothing like it. So okay. keep drinking champagne. Well, you have given us a wealth of knowledge about wine and now champagne. I will definitely be raising my glass on Friday. <laughs> I said I have guests yes. coming. You know, I mean, I was looking at your – there's a quote here at the end of um, – one of your stories, and it's, it has amazing. And, again, it aligns itself to me the same way real estate does. And it reads, amazing, lies always in the details. And that is so true. Ordinary becomes extraordinary only when there is a clear vision of each client. Now, that can be taken in several directions. In this sense, Correct. you've taken it to the palate of each personal wine style. And only then, you say, which I think is interesting, only then can common wine moments be influenced into mature, amazing wine lifestyles. I thought, that's a mind blower. I loved that quote when I read it. I said, this is really interesting because it can answer a lot of different lifestyles. This can play out several ways. And when I read it, I said, you know, wow, you replace that with real estate. It's the same thing. Exactly. That is true. That is true. And it's, you have the client. You have to understand their lifestyle. You have to understand what they love, how they live, you know, their children, everything. So it also, you know, plays to that too. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. And you yeah, are you are a bespoke and curating wine consultant. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Oh, yeah, I, I try to certainly, I mean, very much in the advisory and performance for yeah, private clients, and, and everyone has a unique need in the wine industry, and I try to just zero in on that. I, everyone is an individual, and so everything is curated for that person and that personal circumstance or experience of that person. So I bring a certain level of, of engagement with clients that's not ordinary. I want it to be, and this is, this is a, a standard that I set for myself. We should not be ordinary. We should not be ordinary. Especially when it comes to your lifestyle. Because yes, that indeed. is an individual, you know, take on whomever it may be. So yeah. you can't be ordinary. Or, so with and that in our being work, said, I'm sorry. No, I'm just saying and in our work and our work ethic, yes, we, 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 we just cannot settle for ordinary. No, you can't. No. Yep. I don't even want to settle for ordinary in my own lifestyle. So and there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I don't, actually. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, with that being said, I want to ask you one last question. What would you have someone ask themselves on a daily basis that is trying to achieve success in their life? I think more than anything else, ask yourself, are you doing or pursuing the task or the thing that you are best positioned to do. Fantastic. You have to know self at that point. Are you pursuing the things that you're best positioned to do? And that becomes, gives you a chance to look inward and ref- to answer that question. So Lyndon Harding, I'd like to thank you for coming on our show. I'd like you to tell our audience where they can find you 
Well, I'm on Twitter, and that's where you can okay. find me. And I'm at Vinanophile. It's sort of a mashup of two wine words, a redundant word, but I love it. And I'll spell it out. It's V-I-N-O-E-N-O-P-H-I-L-E. It basically means a very strong wine lover. Um, so okay. that's V-I-N-O, V-I-N-O-E-N-O-P-H-I-L-E. That's on Twitter. You can direct message me there, follow, and um, talk about wines or anything else that you want to chat about. Um, and I'll, I'll see you on Twitter. Okay. Well, guys, you know where to find him. I'm not going to try repeating that. <laughs> so he spelled it out for you twice. I will definitely have it here for you to find him online. Um, it has been lovely speaking with you, Lyndon, and we'll Thank talk you. to you soon. Until then, we'll say from execution to excellence. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Lyndon C. Harding. Thanks to you, we are able to bring you great interviews from people from around the country that are breaking through to success, from execution to excellence. Until then, please follow me at Bond underscore underscore underscore, and do not forget to go and subscribe, rate, and review from execution to excellence.